Oh, I miss you guys. I, I will confess that um, this month was difficult to be away. In fact, last weekend I actually snuck in here for a little bit. It's because I missed seeing you. Each week as we were preparing to go to a different church, because we really made an, an effort um, to rest, but at the same time we just wanted to also celebrate that God's family is much larger than this community. And, and so as we were preparing, Ethan kept going, but I want to go to our church. And I go, honey, so do I. Um, and so it, it is so fun to be back. And i got to tell you, I am so grateful for the gift that you gave to myself and to my family of this month of listening. And it was funny, I actually was talking with somebody last week um, from the church. and like, I can't wait to hear what you heard for the church. And I'm like, I wasn't listening for the church this month. <laughs> it, it, if I'm honest, my intention was specifically to get away and to listen for what God had to say to me. Because my recognition is that if I am going to step into this role that Lee has been helming for the last 15 years, if I'm going to survive in this role, which is a much heavier burden than I believe I even have understood, and I've had lots of people warn me, it's very different being a lead pastor than an associate. If I'm going to survive, then I recognize that I need to have deep, deep roots. And so this month, was a time for me to deepen the taproot of my own relationship with God and to hear from him, to get, become better at hearing my own shepherd's voice if I ever hope to shepherd other people. And that's what this was. And I mean, I, I've got dozens of things I could share with you. And I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to do so, but at the same time this morning, I'm going to hold back. Because this morning we are going to embark on a journey into the book of Galatians. And some of you might be going, well, well why Galatians? Why, why are we picking this book right now? Why is this so important for us to dive into this particular book out of the 66 books in the Bible? And the reason is that as we focus more and more energy on becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, as we try to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, our human tendency is to do that, to try, to do it by our own strength, to think somehow that, we are, that our relationship with God is dependent on our own good works and earning that relationship. If I'm honest with you, even this month, I was confronted with my own tendency, my own knee-jerk reaction to try to be moralistic, to try to earn my intimacy with God. I, I'll, I'll give you one example. It was the second time that I went up to Palomar, which is the men's retreat center that we are going to be going. It's a Christian retreat center, but this is where we guys get away. It's where we're going to be going June 2nd through the 4th. And I hope that you guys will take advantage of this because it was so life-giving. So life-giving, in fact, that after the first weekend I was there, I went, I need more. And I told Kathy, I desperately need this. And so she sent me again. And I said, this time you're coming with me because I need you to care for your own heart as well. And so it was the second time I was up there and I had been, there were a few books that my spiritual director that I met with throughout this month suggested to me. He said, hey, these might be helpful as you are spending time with God. And so I grabbed one of them, I brought it with me, and I found myself reading this book. And as I was reading it, it, it wasn't necessarily speaking to the areas where I felt God was burning my heart for, but I kept reading. It was like page after page, chapter after chapter. And, and, and about halfway through, maybe a third of the book, I was halfway through a chapter in the middle of a paragraph, and it dawned on me. 
What am I doing? Why am I reading this right now? Am I reading this because this is what God is speaking to my heart? Or am I reading this simply to get to the end of the book so I can check it off my list? That I have accomplished something for God this weekend. And I realized that in a lot of ways I had taken the posture of Martha. I was running around trying to do things to serve God, to to make him more welcome. And the whole time that I'm in the kitchen serving him, he's sitting in the living room going, you want to spend some time with me? And I just felt this invitation to stop serving and to just sit at his feet and listen to his voice, listen to whatever he had to say. And so I did something that doesn't come easily to me, and that is I closed the book mid-paragraph, stuck it on on, on the side of the, the, the coffee table next to me, got up, put my jacket on, and I went for a walk in God's glorious creation and just said, God, anything you want to say, I'm listening. And then I was silent, and man, did God speak. Sometimes, often, it's easy for us to slip into, if I want to have a relationship with God, I've got to earn it. And that mindset is not something that's just in my heart. I suspect that there's a lot of us in here that struggle with that same kind of knee-jerk reaction. And it's not something that is specific solely to our generation in this culture. This is something that goes back for as long as people have been following God. And as long as the church has been around, this has been a tendency. So much so that Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian churches specifically to try to target that knee-jerk reaction. And so that's why we're going to be diving into this book over the next couple of months. Because we have a tendency to try to add something to the gospel and think that we have to earn our intimacy. We have to earn our relationship with God. And Paul would say, absolutely not. So today we're going to dive into that. But before I do that, it's important for us to step back and understand the context for this letter that we're going to read. Because the reality is, God's word was inspired by him. And because of that, because it is God gave, put this on people's hearts to write these things down, and because his Holy Spirit resides within us and helps to dialogue with his word, it is living and active and it speaks directly into our lives here and now. However, we always have to remember that before it speaks into our lives, this was something written by specific individuals writing to a specific audience pertaining to specific circumstances that were going on there and then. So before we can ask, what does it mean to me here and now, we need to first ask, what did it mean to them there and then? Does that make sense? Good. So take about 10, 15 minutes with me, and let's take a detour back about 2,000 years ago to AD, I believe it was about 48. So it was about maybe 15 years, 10 years after Jesus was crucified. And we're going to just try to immerse ourselves into what was going on that would prompt Paul to write this letter. So the first couple of things we need to ask is, well, who wrote it? Who was it written to? The author of Galatians is Paul. There's no no argument about that. Because right in the very beginning, in the very first verse of Galatians chapter 1, the very first word of it is Paul, an apostle, one who is sent. So Paul identifies, I am the author of, of this letter. Now, who is Paul? Paul was a guy. His Romanized name was Paul. His Jewish name was Saul, so it's interchangeable, right? And Saul grew up. 
He was from Tarsus, so he wasn't even from the Jerusalem area. It's more like modern-day Turkey. He was from Tarsus, but he grew up in Jerusalem under a Pharisee. He was trained to be a Pharisee. He was a very zealous follower of the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was zealous for his faith. So zealous, in fact, that when these so-called Christ followers who suggested that the Messiah had come and he was a carpenter who had been killed and supposedly raised from the dead began to share this gospel with other people, he saw it not as a good thing. He saw it as a weed that was beginning to grow up in the Jewish culture and he wanted nothing more than to stamp it out before it could get going. And so it was Saul who presided over the, the, the murder of the first Christian martyr, a guy named Stephen. And then he went to the Jewish ruling council in that area and he said, hey guys, this is spreading and I need to make sure that not just here, but beyond Jerusalem, I need to make sure that we stamp this thing out. So would you give me your blessing to go and stop these Christ followers from sharing this good news? And they said, absolutely, Saul, go for it. And so armed with their letters of recommendation, Saul started on the road to Damascus to try to quash the gospel from making inroads there. And as he was on his way, the risen Jesus appeared to Saul in this bright light, knocking him from his horse, and he is blinded. And Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what transpired, and we're going to look a little bit deeper at this next week, was a time of of Saul, also known as Paul, of just recognizing that the very thing that he was trying to destroy was what God was up to. And he went from being the greatest opponent of the gospel to being the greatest proponent, one of the, one of the most outspoken proponents of this gospel in that time and in history. And so it's Paul who wrote this letter to the Galatian churches. But, but who are the Galatian churches? You see, what happened is after Saul ultimately came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he moved up. Can we, can we go ahead and throw the uh, map up there? Okay, you probably can't see anything, but let me, I, I, this is the one time I get to use my, high, my, my laser pointer, so I'm going to make the most of it, so deal with this. All right, so down, does it even work on these things? It totally doesn't. Are you kidding me? This is so disappointing. Whatever. All right, so. My, my analog pointer. My goodness. Down at the bottom, if you can see at the very bottom of this map, there's Jerusalem. If you travel north, I hope you can see this. You probably can. I'm completely wasting my time. As you travel north directly up the Mediterranean Sea, you arrive at Antioch. That's 355 miles away from Jerusalem, just to give you some idea of distances. Antioch was where Paul ultimately landed. He made tents to pay for him, you know, so that he could survive, but he became a part of the church there in Antioch. And if you, if you will, we're going to just take a detour, so go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13. I always want to call it Acts. It's Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13 just for a moment so we can get, get a foundation for what was going on that prompted Paul to write Galatians chapter 1. So it was in Antioch that Paul finally got his true calling from God, that it was clarified what his job was to be. So in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, In the church of Antioch, 
There were prophets and there were teachers. There was a guy named Barnabas. There was Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and there was Saul, who we know him as Paul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. What was that work? That work was to share the gospel, not just with Jews, but this was a gospel. This was good news, and that's all that a gospel means is good news. This was good news for all mankind. And so, Barnabas and Paul, your job is to go beyond just this Judean area where the Jews reside into the ends of the earth to share the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he has come to save mankind. And so they prayed over them, and they sent them on their way. And from Antioch, they sailed to this little island of Cyprus that's out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Cyprus is where Barnabas was from. So it makes sense. Hey, let's go to my hometown. Let's share the good news with them first. That's where they went. From there, they went north, up into Perga, and then into Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. These are all cities in what was then known as Galatia. It was a Roman province. Today, it's modern-day Turkey. But this was the first missionary journey that Paul took. He went along these cities, and as he went there, here's what they would do. They would walk into the city, and even though he felt particularly compelled to share the gospel with the Gentiles, he also recognized that this gospel needed to be shared with Jews as well. So he would always start in the synagogues with the Jews who were gathering to hear the word of the Lord because he was a Jew, Jesus was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, so why not share the good news with them? It's the low-hanging fruit. Start there, and if they reject it, then we'll take it beyond the walls of it. So that's where Paul would start. They would always start in these these synagogues. And if you will, turn with me to... Let's start in verse 26. This is an example, just a taste, of the kind of gospel message that Paul would share with these churches there as he was traveling around, he said, fellow children of Abraham, Abraham being the patriarch of the Jews, he's speaking to the Jews. So fellow, um, fellow children of Abraham and you God fearing Gentiles, everybody who's gathered here today. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers didn't recognize Jesus. And yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophet that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who have traveled with him through Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. So we tell you the good news, the gospel. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. In other words, what God, or the righteousness that we've been pursuing, our relationship with God, and we were trying to earn it by climbing this broken stairway to heaven called the law, God has done in Jesus by sending him to die for us. And so if you'll skip down to verse 38, he makes that point perfectly clear. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. How many of our sins? Every single one. Not just the light ones. 
Not just the ones that you know are kind of socially acceptable. Every single sin. The ones that you, you wonder sometimes whether you even belong in a church. Because if everybody knew what you struggle with, if everybody knew the thoughts that run through your mind, if everybody knew what you've done, you feel like they would drive you out. And he says, listen, every single sin has been justified. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. That's the gospel message that he preached there. Now, some of the people hearing were like, this is amazing. In fact, in some cities, they said, we want to hear more of this. And the next week, almost the entire city shows up to hear him. So many people, in fact, that they can't even stuff them all into the synagogue. So a lot of people heard. And the gospel seeds were planted in a lot of hearts. Of course, there were some people, particularly the Jews, who, who were like, this is a dangerous gospel because we don't accept that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. We've been expecting a conquering hero. You're talking about a crucified carpenter. Those are very different things. And so they rejected the gospel message that Paul was preaching. They rejected Paul. And they even tried to stir up trouble for him. And yet, despite their attempts to thwart it, in these cities of Perga and Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby, the gospel began to take root and small churches began to spring up. These are the churches to which Paul writes his letter of Galatians. That's why it's called Galatians. It's to the region of Galatia and it's addressed to the churches in this region. You following me so far? Okay. Now let's ask the question why? Why write this letter? What was going on? Well, after Paul finished his traveling through these cities, he turned around and he retraced his steps. He went back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Pisidian Antioch, back to Perga, back along Cyprus, back to Antioch, where he had started from. And he said, okay, the churches are starting to bud. There's, you know, we're beginning to take root and it's exciting what God is doing. And they shared the good news with those, those people in Antioch that had sent them on their way and it probably even helped to um, you know, finance his missions trip. And then they go back to worshiping God as usual. But before too long, it could have been months, it could have been years. Before too long, something happened that really... Um, really caused Paul some concern. And that is there were some people who came from the Judean region around Jerusalem. They were Jews who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. So these are, we're calling them Jewish Christians. Okay? They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. However, they believed that because the Messiah was the Jewish Messiah, that if anybody truly wanted to take hold of the sacrifice that Jesus had made on the cross, if anybody truly wanted to be saved, it wasn't enough just to believe in Jesus. They suggested you had to become Jewish too. And so we read, if you'll, if you'll jump over with me to chapter 15 of Acts, we're going to read about how this went down. Certain people, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a second, sorry. I'm getting excited. We got a fight a-brewing. Certain people came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, we say came down because Jerusalem was on a big hill. So anytime you went anywhere, it was always coming down from Jerusalem. Okay? So that even though it was going north, 355 miles, he said they came down from Jerusalem or from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. 
Well, what on earth does circumcision have to do with anything? Again, this goes back to when God called the Jews and set them apart. He said, I'm going to give you an outward sign that is a declaration of what is on the inside, this commitment you're making to me, this covenant. Circumcision, the cutting of the flesh, was an outward sign to everybody that I identify with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I identify as a Jew. And so what they were saying is, if you truly want to be saved by Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, you must become Jewish. That means you need to get circumcised. That means you need to begin to submit to all of the Jewish laws that people have been following for hundreds of years. You can't be above that. And they're going, this is the completed gospel. This is what Paul shared with you is almost kind of like, the truncated version, we're sharing with you the full version. This is how you become a truly one who is in. And when Paul heard this, he was irate because he recognized what was going on here. This was not just a little addition to the gospel. He recognized that in adding this caveat of needing to become a Jew to the gospel, you actually negated everything that made the gospel good news at all. Namely, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and the enablement of the Holy Spirit, which is something we will talk about in the coming weeks. When you start adding that you need to climb this broken stairway to heaven that Jews for hundreds of years have been trying to climb, trying to somehow earn our way into God's good graces by becoming righteous through our own efforts, that's not good news. All that is, is the same That's the same old wine tried to shove into a new wineskin with the cross stamped on it. And we know how well that went over. Right? It's going to burst the wineskin. It cannot fit. It's like like saying here, you know, I I know that this meat is rotten, but go ahead and let's put it in a new package with Jesus' face on it and try to sell it to people. And Paul's going, "This this is not good. This will make them sick. This will lead them astray. And he was irate. And so he did two things. The first thing he did is because he recognized they hadn't just come to Antioch. They'd actually also gone to these new fledgling churches up in in, um, Galatia. And the worst thing is he got wind that they were embracing it. I mean, they're new baby Christians. They're new at this. They're going, oh, they're from Jerusalem. They're, they're, you know, supposedly sent by Peter and, and all of these people who are important. Maybe we should listen to them. And so these new Galatian Christians had embraced this false gospel that put all of the onus back on us. And so Paul sends a letter to them, the letter of Galatians that we're about to read the first few verses of. And then he and Barnabas start sprinting down to Jerusalem so that they can confront this dangerous weed that's growing now within the Christian church at its source and deal with it. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 15. Okay. Now, the reason that he doesn't tell them in the, in the letter to Galatians what kind of was agreed upon at that council in Jerusalem is because it hadn't happened yet. We're pretty sure that we can place the writing of this letter at this point because if, it had ha- if he wrote this letter towards these false teachers who were saying, hey, what Paul preached to you was a partial gospel. We want to give you the whole gospel. And that whole gospel is if you want to be saved, you've got to become a Jew. And Paul is going, "Uh uh-uh, go to hell. You get the impression that that Paul feels strongly about the gospel? 
And, that's, and herein lies probably the most important part of what we're going to talk about this morning. The gospel. It's a word that we use a lot. It's one we throw around kind of almost expecting that everybody knows what we mean by that. Expecting that everybody's on the same page. And yet, as Paul has shown us this morning, um, how we define the gospel is a matter of life and death. Because there are a lot of perverted gospels floating around out there. A lot of ways that we could look at it that turn it away from being good news and turn it into something that is radically different. Turn it into either something that we have to do, that hamster wheel of moralism where we have to keep running and keep proving that we're worthy in order for God to accept us. Or turning it into a a call for social justice and making it all about inclusivity, which means that we completely, you know, kind of cut the legs out from under the things that Jesus said and even the Bible wherever it it might offend somebody. Or, Or we turn it into here are the ways that are the right ways and we are going to get it right and and we're going to isolate away from, and we're going to become arrogant in our perspective. Or we turn the gospel into a promise that God wants our best life now, and all he is interested in is making us healthy and wealthy and comfortable. There's a lot of warped gospels floating around out there. And this morning, I simply want us to pause for a moment and say, well, what is the gospel? What's the heart of it? (laughs) and you're not going to like this, but that's all right. As I was preparing this morning, I felt compelled, rather than simply to answer that question for you, to give you an opportunity to look inside your heart and say, well, what is it for me? What has the good news been for me? What is the gospel that I live out of? So here's what we're going to do. In a few minutes, we'll we'll talk about it, but first, I want to give you about two to three minutes to write the gospel for yourself. So in your outlines, all you have is the title of the gospel. It's on the second side. Go ahead and turn there. And then grab a pen. Hopefully you have one. If you're somebody who... The stakes are a little higher here, huh? Now, did anybody... Was that easy or difficult? Oh, I'm really glad to hear this. For some of you, it was easy. I would imagine that for, for many of us, it was probably difficult, especially given kind of the gravity with which Paul deals with it. And I hope that is one of these things that as we continue through this letter and as we continue in our journey with Christ, that it becomes something that is easier and easier to articulate. Um, But what I want to do right now is I want to simply give you three or four articulations of the gospel found in the Bible written by different authors just to give you a taste of how they articulate it because at the end of the day, there is not a magical incantation for the gospel in the same way that when you accept Jesus in your heart, there's not a specific way you have to pray it. It is simply, but but the heart behind it never changes. The heart behind the gospel never changes even though the words we may use are going to shift and change dependent upon the audience to which we're speaking it. So let me give you four examples of what the gospel is found in God's word. The first one is, was written 700 years before Jesus was born. It is a prophetic utterance by a guy named Isaiah who 
filled by the Holy Spirit, spoke the words for God. And this is what he wrote in Isaiah chapter 53. The the entire chapter is one that I would encourage you guys to check out, but listen to this, just a couple of verses. This is, he's speaking of the coming Messiah, the one that would come to heal God's people. And he said, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. 700 years before Jesus was mocked and beaten and had to drag his own cross up to Golgotha where he was pierced, nailed to the cross and hung to die and jeered by the very people he had come to die for, to save. Isaiah wrote those things. All right, let's look at the next one. Um, Mark, can you go ahead and throw John 3.16? And this is the one that every, all the football players use as their eyeliner. So you guys probably know it. John 3.16, another beautiful declaration of the gospel. For God so loved this world that he created, that he sent his one and only son or only begotten, meaning the only one that has not been adopted into his family. We'll talk about that in a few more weeks. He sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not remain estranged from God, but have eternal life. And when we use that word eternal life, I don't mean live forever. I don't only mean that. Eternal life is the opposite, the antithesis of death. And death is not simply physical, but is spiritual. It is a separation from the God who created us to do life with him. So when we die, when we sin, we die, we are separated from God. When we give our hearts to Jesus, accept him into our lives, believe in him and the sacrifice he made, what has been done because of sin is undone, and he brings us back into unity with God, which means eternal life doesn't begin when we die. Eternal life begins when we die to ourselves and give our hearts to Jesus and said, you get to be in charge now. That's when eternal life begins, which means that there are a whole lot of people living eternal life right now. Are we having fun? Yeah. All right. Cool. Next one. Mark, throw that up there. I believe this one is 1 Peter, right? 1 Peter 2, 24. And this is out of the CEV, which has become my favorite devotional way of reading it. It's the contemporary English version. I love it. And if you have the Bible app, you can find different versions. This one is just fresh words, and so it's really helpful. Christ carried the burden of our sins. He was nailed to the cross so that we would stop sinning and start living right. By his cuts and bruises, you are healed. Now let's stop there for just a second, because one thing I hope that you're seeing in all of this And this is the one point about the gospel I want to make this morning. And that is the gospel is not just good news about what has been done for us, what he saved us from. And he has saved us from something monumental. He saved us from the penalty of our sins. As Paul said in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. Anybody who sins is separated from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so it's not just that he has saved us from something, namely the penalty of our sins, but he's also saved us to something. And that is the life that God designed us and intended for us all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 when he created mankind to have relationship with him. We have been saved 
from the penalty of our sins. We have been saved from the brokenness of our lives. Even though we still live in a broken and fallen world, we have been saved to relationship with God, which begins and can begin here and now when we say, I'm done trying to be the captain of my own ship. I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm done trying to climb this broken stairway to heaven that always seems to feel more like an escalator and I'm going the wrong way. So I just keep running in place like a hamster on the wheel and I'm exhausted and I'm discouraged and I'm going nowhere really quickly. And the gospel message simply says, stop running. Stop trying to earn what has already been given for you. God loves you so much that he doesn't expect you. In fact, the the law was never intended to help you earn your way to God. And that's something we'll talk about in a few weeks. You see, the, gospel, or the, the book of Galatians gives us lots of handles to wrestle with this thing. The gospel is this. What we have been unable to do for ourselves, namely to clean ourselves up so that we will be worthy of the relationship that God made for us, he did for us out of love. He sent Jesus, his son, to die in our place so that we who have been estranged can be made new, can be redeemed back into the relationship he created us, designed us for, and that he longs to have with us. I'll tell you, this month of my sabbatical has been a time of me getting to rest in my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I've got to tell you, it is not only good, it is life-giving. Which is good because the storms of life are coming. And if we are not rooted and established in his love, if we don't recognize that our strength comes from him and not from ourselves, then we will fall. We are going to stumble. And when we do, it's very easy for us to walk away and say, see, I knew that this didn't work. It's very easy for us to to act like that wounded dog that rather than coming to its master who loves it and wants to care for it, it runs off into the woods and licks its wounds until it feels like it's healed enough to come back and be around them. Far too often we try to clean ourselves up so that we'll be worthy of God. And, and, And the message of the gospel is stop striving and just rest in me because I love you more than you could ever possibly fathom. I love you so much I gave my life for you. So now come and do life with me. Stop being Martha and come and rest in the place of Mary. Now, I would be remiss this morning. And I know I'm going over time. Sorry. I'm back. I got lots of words. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to accept this gift that God paid an unbelievable price to buy for you. And that is an invitation to take hold of this eternal life. And how does that happen? There's no magical incantation for it. It is simply a recognition that you are a sinner, that you have, that you are desperately in need of somebody to save you. And then The second part is to accept the fact that God has done that for you in Jesus Christ and to say, Jesus, come into my life. I invite you to be the Lord of my life, not just to clean me up so I can punch my ticket to heaven, but I want you to come in and begin to call the shots. I submit everything to you, the stuff I'm proud of, the stuff I'm not proud of. My my fears and my failures, but also my hopes and my dreams, I give it all to you. 
Would you come in and begin to clean house? Would you come in and gently, lovingly begin to guide me into this life that you call eternal? And so if if you would bow your heads with me, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if, if what I'm praying is the true cry of your own heart, then I invite you to repeat it, whether out loud or in your heart. Just repeat this with me. Father God, I need you. I'm so tired of trying to be good on my own. I'm so exhausted from this hamster wheel that I find myself on. This broken escalator. I need you. Jesus, thank you that you died in my place. Thank you that you have made a way for me to become reconciled back into relationship with my Father. And I long to rest in his arms and to hear his voice and to follow his, his lead. Jesus, I invite you not only to be my Savior, but to be my Lord. Would you help yourself to my life? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in and fill me up and protect me from the world and from me. Protect me from an enemy who would love to destroy what is being planted in my heart even now. Jesus, I need you. And I love you. And I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, in your name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit courageous. And that is, would you simply stand up so that we, your family, can... can, Awesome. So that we, your family, can stand with you and protect and, and pray with you. And you don't have to feel compelled to stand just because everybody else is, okay? But I love that you guys are standing. And if you are not standing right now, would you stand up and put a hand on somebody who is? Because we're a family here. And I am simply going to pray a prayer of protection over you because as I recognize, we have an enemy who loves to take these fledgling seeds and just like he did in that region of Galatia, he likes to start stirring up trouble and he likes to start stirring up confusion and he likes to kind of bring something that you're not even anticipating to kind of slam you back down so you just go, oh, I knew it, this doesn't work. So I just want to pray a prayer of protection if you would join me in doing this. Father God, I thank you so much for the grace that you have given each of us. And we stand in here and call ourselves followers of you, not because we've got it all together, but because we are the first to confess that we are sinners desperately in need of grace. And that is the, the grace is the only foundation upon which we stand. And I thank you for these declarations of my brothers and my sisters this morning who say, God, I'm tired of trying to do it by myself. And whether I've prayed this before or this is the first time, God, I want to give my heart completely to you and I need you to be my Lord. 
And right now, if there is any spirit in this room or in the heart of any of my brothers and sisters that does not bend a knee to Jesus Christ, then in the name of Jesus, I bind you. You have no authority over them or over their family. Any agreements that have been made, we revoke them in the name of Jesus Christ. Any, any rights that you feel you have, we now revoke them and we wash them in the blood of Jesus Christ. And now you spirits that do not bend a knee to Jesus Christ, we send you to the foot of the cross. Jesus, you determine what you want to do with them. You may not return. You may not send any other spirit of dissension or doubt or any other spirit to come and torment them or their family or anyone they know. Father God, would you protect my brothers and my sisters? Would you protect me and my family? Would you guide us? Because at the end of the day, we are your followers and we long for that relationship. We long to hear our shepherd's voice and say, as you wish, I will follow your lead. Would you give us the eyes to see where you're leading and a heart that is willing to submit? For your namesake, Jesus. And because of your love, we now worship. So let's worship our God together.